I'm Chris Biddle and welcome to this special 50th episode of Inside AgriTurf and thank you for joining me. Yeah, I started Inside AgriTurf as something of a therapy during lockdown last year, having just, shall I say, retired uh, from 30 years or more uh, editing and producing print magazines. Initially, I had to get to grips with podcast production and most particularly audio editing, learning how to edit sound waves instead of blocks of text. My intention now, as it was initially, is to be totally independent and non-commercial, so you won't get any annoying adverts uh, popping up in the middle of uh, the episode. But I wanted to try something different for this uh, 50th, so I'm introducing a new feature which I'm calling AgriTurf Talk. It's something of a question time session, if you like. And I've invited four guests from very different backgrounds, all of whom have appeared in earlier episodes. Let me introduce you to them. Kit Franklin is a senior lecturer in agricultural engineering at Harper Adams University, but is possibly better known to you as one of the founders of the Hands Free Hectare and now Hands Free Farm project, uh, which has been running at Harper's for a few years now and which was featured on BBC Countryfile only a week ago. David Hart is Managing Director of Kubota UK and also holds the post of Vice President Business Transformation. It's a role he was appointed to in 2018 after almost 30 years in senior roles at John Deere. Next, Will Foster. After 23 years in the British Army, latterly as technical training manager for the tank fleet at the Royal Armoured Corps headquarters at Bovington Camp in Dorset, uh, Will wanted to find another career uh, after leaving the army and discovered agricultural engineering almost by chance. The last member of the panel is Lauren Savage who is an Agco apprentice working for dealer Chandler's Farm Equipment in Bristol. Lauren was one of the finalists in the Agricultural Engineers Association Technician for 2021 Awards. So a warm welcome to you all and and thank you so much for taking the time to participate in this uh, special episode and before we we get into your individual stories something of a A quick question, a warm-up if you like. It is Jeremy Clarkson, farming hero or farming fraud? Uh, Discuss. Um, What about you, uh, Kit? What do you think? Yeah, I I probably wouldn't put him in either camp (laughs) fully, but I'd I'd fall more on the the hero than, than fraud. Uh, I think I think his program in the last year has done you know wonderful things for putting farming in front of an audience who otherwise wouldn't have been engaged at all. So you can't really complain at that. Bear in mind that's what I've kind of tried to do with my career over the last four or five years, and he's trumped me about twenty times over in, in one <laughs> attempt. So uh, you know, yeah, you, yeah, fair play. Okay, uh, uh, David, um, any views on that? Yeah, I think he's pretty much a hero. I think from where he stands today. Um, One thing I would be a bit mindful of is now how he uses that newfound sort of status as um, 
I would say, the ch yeah. champion for farming um, because we've seen him in the past perhaps going off at a tangent when you least expect it. So yes. I would say hero at the moment, and I hope he doesn't become a fraud. That would be uh, what I would think, to be honest. Will, have you seen the programmes? I, I have, yeah. I uh, binged watched the whole episode in about <laughs> two days. Uh, and uh, unfortunately, I think I, he's going to go for both both camps for me. Uh, I think the guy with his buffoonery comes across as a bit of a fool in it. But um, he has done the industry and what highlighted all the, the toughness that's associated with it really well, I think. Okay, and Lauren? Um, I think, personally, he's shown quite a good side to farming especially for people who haven't been involved in farming like myself but then on the other hand from a technician's point of view buying a Lamborghini tractor maybe was overdoing it just to just a yeah. tad yeah. Um, yeah but other than that I, I believe it's really informative and it's like you know as well as humor it, it's quite serious I was um, I was talking to Paul Hemingway, who's the uh, president of the International Agricultural Engineers the other day and he said he had some work being done in his house and the plasterers who were doing the work uh, were talking to him about tram lining. So uh, uh, obviously it's getting home with some people. So, well, thank you for that. It, that's interesting. So maybe I could come first to, to Kit. Kit, uh, star of stage screen and um, country file, it would seem, uh, just a couple of weekends ago. Uh, thanks for joining us, uh, Kit. Can we just sort of backtrack? Um, Hands-free Hectare. I think it started, what, two years ago? Um, and the, did it run as a hectare project for, what, two or three seasons? Yeah, so we're quite, yeah, it's all, time flies really. So it's five <laughs> years since we started. It was 2016, October 2016, hands-free hectare started. And we did that, yeah, for two years, growing a single hectare of crop with our autonomous machines, uh, retrofit Izeki tractor and um, old Sampo combine. Um, essentially showcasing the fact that it could be done. You could farm without sitting on the tractor with today's technologies. And then, yeah, in the last two years, then we've grown to the 35 hectares of the Hansbury farm over five fields. The first year was hugely interrupted by uh, the pandemic. And that's what I would have been telling you about last time we spoke. But in the last year, we did successfully manage to grow grow crops across the whole farm. We grew wheat, oats, and beans, and uh, yeah, the 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 the, the bit of uh, coverage we received on Countryfile recently was us. Uh, they came to see us harvesting the wheat in the field. So yeah, we had uh, twenty hectares of wheat that we cut autonomously with our combine, and then uh, and the major the major breakthrough was uh, then unloading that on the move into the into the tractor alongside, and then. And, and not just the fact that there was two tractors driving themselves, they're actually talking to each other. So the combine is telling the tractor where to be and, and when it should get out of the way because there was a turn coming up and, and that sort of thing. So real sort of technical developments that have, that have made that possible. Yeah. I mean, you're involved really in an academic, uh, I say experiment, but certainly project. Um, do, do you see yourselves as ambassadors for autonomous farming because obviously you take every opportunity to show off uh, the project at uh, events like cereals and, and obviously on country file and, and so on yeah i think it's what we're trying to do is learn learn what does an autonomous farm look like what are the pitfalls of an autonomous farm um so that's the sort of 
greater academic mission and the economics of it and all those sorts of things but yeah as a, as a side point it's about for me it's about showing our industry to be as sort of technically advanced as it is to a wider audience touching back to Jeremy Clarkson you know we're, we're trying to put it in front of a different audience who may think that farming's sort of dull dirty and, and and you know not for them and not very interesting not very advanced and the reason we that you know I sort of bend over backwards to talk to journalists and, and the media is essentially to showcase that farming isn't that agriculture is very advanced it's pushing boundaries and and maybe some you know attract some wider audience audience uh into the world of agricultural engineering yeah you mentioned the word economics just now i believe there was a paper that uh, was published reasonably by by i think two people from or people from harpers um trying to work out the economics of autonomous farming were there any headline uh, results from that yeah, essentially, if you it models the paper models the the model models the model of farming that we're putting forward. So rather than as your farm gets bigger, you get larger machines that a single driver can do more with. Um, you essentially keep with small machines, but you develop it as a swarm. So you go from one unit to two or three units as your farm gets bigger because they don't need drivers; they drive themselves. So the one person who would drive your really big tractor can now manage three smaller and critically cheaper systems uh, to work together. Um, and essentially what the paper shows and the modeling we did show is that um, it, it brings down the cost of production. It was mostly done on wheat and rape, the model, but basically we could bring the cost of production curve and the, the sort of cost curve that is the economies of scale. We can bring that cost curve down by, in some parts of the cost curve, as much as 30 pounds a tonne to produce wheat. Uh, and critically, the greatest reduction in that uh, cost of production happens at the low end of, of the farming scale, in sense, small acreages. So we could make essentially a 100 hectare farm, which currently growing cereal crops wouldn't be uh, essentially viable, would be very borderline viable. We can essentially make it viable by the adoption of autonomous machinery. That's what this paper suggests. Uh, and obviously, you know, it's a model and, and models are only as good as the outputs from models are only as good as the inputs you put into them. But uh, we, are, we are working to hone that model further and uh, tweak it as we learn more from the hands-free farm as we, as we develop okay well, thanks thanks very much for that for the moment uh, david um as a as a major manufacturer obviously you you keep an eye or your company keeps an eye on all these developments within robotics and autonomous farming and indeed i think your company's just bought a company uh specializing in that that field is it a question of trying to sort of cherry pick the best options for you and your equipment? How do you look at it, really? I think it's uh, coming to the fore at the moment with um, the sort of reduction in availability of labour, in, in especially in I would say vegetable businesses. So um, you know, it's I think it's it's good that we're focusing on. Um, small grain crops predominantly, but actually that's where you can get scale today with one operator and a 40-foot cutting platform and, a, and an £850,000 combine sat behind it. Whereas the problem that we're seeing today is that, um, you know, uh, vegetable farmers are actually not able to pick the vegetables. So, you know, should we be aiming this um, automation at the areas that 
we really do have a big problem today. And, and I know from an economics point of view, it's easier probably to do the cereal crop business. But actually, should it be a little bit more around vegetables and that sort of stuff where, where there's a shortage of labour? So I would say, you know, it's a change model, perhaps a little bit since, um, you know, Brexit and COVID and sure. people not wanting to, the priorities to go into are, the priorities are, Yeah, I mean, you mentioned vegetables, but also there's a heck of a lot of work going on uh, and, and great difficulty in soft fruits as well, I think, um, particularly at Lincoln and, and the like. Um, if we look at you and your company uh, in the last sort of 12 months or so. Um, any sort of reflections on how the industry has coped with COVID and uh, remained operational and remained in supply? I think we, we note that tractor sales are pretty buoyant this year in, in, um, in the UK. Is, is that your experience? Yeah, I think uh, we can probably all remember back to last winter and we were all going goodbye 2020. What a horrible year come on 2021 and actually we got into it within a few days we all realized that actually nothing had really disappeared it had actually in some respects got worse um so i would say it was a year that we all came in thinking life's going to be different again and actually it didn't improve um the weather has been unpredictable uh for both agriculture and ground scare you know it's cold when it's not meant to be cold and then it's raining when it's not meant to be raining. So I think in both ag and ground care, that's created a few uh, problems. Um, and, and I would say, when I look back, there was numerous times during the year already that I've said, what next? You know, it was like, I, I remember waking up one morning and looking at the news and the Suez Canal was blocked by a ship. And I thought... <laughs> Yes. I, I, I'm sure that it's going to be more news than just a blocked canal soon. And next thing we know, we're in situations. We had 50 containers on that ship. So, really? And then within a matter of a week, we had 500 containers on ships backed up behind it. So, you know, I, I just thought, you know, I actually, you know, what next? And then we go into a fuel crisis and so on and so on. So um, I, I'm actually of a, an opinion now that I'm not surprised what's coming, you know, in, the, in the corner. coming months. And, uh, I mean, you've got four divisions, um, agriculture, grounds care, your engine division, division and, and construction. Um, are there any, I, I mean, if one... In one area, particularly with regard to weather, is doing okay, and another is doing badly. Is is there a trade-off between those divisions? I think one thing that's taken us all by surprise is if you were sat in the middle of last year looking at next year's forecast, we were all being cautious. And and the reality is, we got into twenty twenty one across all of the segments, um, and and the the markets are booming. Um, if you look at mini diggers up to eight tons the market is 65 percent more than it was last year which actually takes us well beyond where we were even in in 19 so and i think that's the other thing that you know we're all sort of crying in our soup that we can't get enough product and yet we'll be within a few million pounds of having a record year this year. And mm. we could have been a lot higher, but we all feel that, oh, you know, we could have got more. And so so there's a bit of, there's also a bit of sandbagging out there. People are putting bigger orders in, hoping they're going to get a sort of a smaller order. But I would say across the business now, and I don't think we're unique, 
next year we're already looking at putting quotas on all of the products that we sell so diggers engines ag products ground scare all of our dealer network will probably be given a number that we can supply and and that's already for 2022 i i guess when we look at this whole situation i mean uh, everybody's blaming everybody else it was inevitable almost with with the shutdown of covid that there was going it was going to create a big hiccup in the supply chain wasn't it yeah and um yeah i don't know whether we didn't we couldn't model it. I think that was the problem. We'd never been in a situation like this before where people all went home for periods of time around the world and, and factories shut down. And, you know, we're still seeing it today where production lines have to close because they can't get a component or because the whole workforce is broken out with the COVID virus. So you, you can't model that sort of stuff. And, and, you know, to have a record year this year, off the back of the fact that we thought it would be a bad year is is just shows you that the demand is out there and and trying to react to it i think everybody's struggling and um as far as people is concerned you're you've got a very impressive training school there at tame um are you back up to running with that on face-to-face training yeah we are but we're, we're doing it at a reduced level because of social distancing and stuff like that you know the last thing we want to be doing is be the sort of the super spreader um, if we get all of our dealers together and then all of a sudden all of them get it and then spread it through their dealership. So there's a certain element of common sense has to creep in. And, and then as a result of that, you know, we're looking to do more and more virtual, yeah. but um, you can only do so much of that. You, you get browbeaten after a certain amount of time, just staring into a camera and uh, everybody wants to go face to face. Um, it's just a case we have to do it in a sort of a sensible and measured way. Yeah. Well, thanks. Uh, thanks very much, David, just for the moment. Um, next up, Phil, um, sorry, Will. Will Foster. I interviewed back in, in, in February. And Will, Will's background is he spent 23 years in the army. He discovered agricultural engineering because I believe, uh, Will, that your first thought on leaving the army and looking for a future career was was towards the the railway industry was that right yeah traction and rolling stock uh, as part of your kind of process for getting out your transition um it's uh you go through some like a, a, a couple of weeks months of training and you get to choose what it is that you want to do so i went over to northampton to um the siemens depot over there and they did uh, a level three traction and rolling stock um, and I kind of looked at the local industries to see what was most prevalent. Um, and I've got a test track just down the road. Uh, that kind of fell through. Um, so I looked at another prominent industry within my region, Leicestershire in the Midlands, um, and yeah, agriculture was up there. So I just kind of had a look. One of my friends pointed me in the direction of uh, John Deere as a technical trainer. And uh, unbeknownst to me, it ignited a, a long lost passion for agricultural machinery. That, I, that had laid dormant for many a year. So I thought, you know what? Uh, I'm not going to get an opportunity to to press the big fat red reset button as I will do now at age 40 uh, and start all over again with the financial support and the training support and everything else behind me. So I thought, why not trace a dream? Yeah, quite right. And I believe there was a role for an organisation called Forces Farming run by Jeremy Gibbs. Did he give you much help? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, at the same time as me kind of like following the dream and looking for 
for new employment, uh, I stumbled across this very worth worthy uh, worthwhile cause called Forces Farming from Jeremy Gibbs, and he and I spoke, and he he was like a a voice of reason and told me how to broach into this uh, the pitfalls, the advice, uh, and he he ended up being becoming a, a good friend actually uh, as a result of it. And it took a fair few months until we're actually able to to meet up but his his words of advice were it was were second to none for me uh, and really helped me kind of hone in my my focal point of where it is that I wanted to go uh, made some good introductions and linking uh, but but you initially i think got a got got some work experience at um, at at Ben Burgess did you that's right yeah um and off the back of that they did offer me a a, a role uh, at the the depot that that uh, they sent me to um uh, but I crunched the numbers and it just wasn't viable at that moment in time. Uh, and you've got to bear in mind, this was like in the, in the thick of lockdown uh, and having the responsibility of a family and, and all that kind of stuff, the commute and the, the finances, it just wasn't doable. So I kind of like put a pin in it uh, and monitored how they were going to progress in. And I know that they were going to be opening up a new depot. So I kind of clocked that uh, and had a look out who else was, was knocking around and that's when i ended up going over to chandler's for a, for a short period so, so, so in a way you 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 swapped one challenger for another challenger yeah exactly uh worked for challenger two main battle tank to the agco challenger which then become the fent ones uh all on tracked kit so i was in the <laughs> comfort zone with that uh, i really enjoyed playing with the larger machinery <laughs> but you're currently you you've gone back to ben burgess yeah that's right um uh, so it was a it, it was a short period that i did with with Chandler's uh, and I ended up leaving them because of this new depot that was opening up an opportunity came about um, with the good experience that I had with them and the friends that I'd made over that short period of uh, volunteering some time for them. I was like, yeah, why not? Why wouldn't you want to join these guys? Uh, and I, I felt like the, it fitted my, my needs a little bit better. Uh, so I kind of jumped ship uh, to most of just disgruntlement of, of chandlers they were a good company to work for good good so you know you, you've moved from this uh regime in in the uh in, in the army uh which is obviously highly regimented and you've moved from tanks uh into the wacky world of uh, big farm machinery uh, what's the best part of your job what, what do you enjoy most out of it will trying to make sense of chaos <laughs> it's probably i i, I had no idea you know like in line with your first question about Clarkson and how to be able to highlight it, you know, I, I was blind to the, the strifes and struggles of a, any farmer out there. Uh, and I, and I freely say to these poor guys, uh, especially through harvest, I had no idea you guys are like living what I would class as the tempo of life for an operational tour every year. Uh, and that was no fun. So the, the lack of sleep, the pressures that you're going to be feeling, uh, we we do it, like get removed from family and friends. They were doing this like in a totally different industry. So when it comes to helping them out, it was almost lending an ear for them to cry on as well. Because it, it, it was it made me laugh that uh, these poor sods in a sat in a tractor all day, all night. Uh, wouldn't see anybody you're there to just do a quick five minute job but you'll be there 20 minutes listening yeah. to them and, and being a shoulder to cry on so so really after your army career it really is the agricultural version they've been down with the muck and bullets and 
yeah easily easily good comparison absolutely great uh well look thanks will just for the moment and um my fourth guest i'm delighted to welcome uh lauren savage uh who was one of the finalists of the um aea which is called an engineers association uh technician for 21 i would say at this point that i I did invite Laura Bassnett, who was the uh, winner of that, uh, with due respect to you, Lauren. Uh, but she's unfortunately, I think, going into hospital today for an operation. So uh, firstly, we're very sorry that she couldn't join us. And um, I sent her a note to, on behalf of us all. I hope that's OK to wish her well. So, Lauren, what you, you, you got involved in this. Uh, you were rewarded with this uh, accolade from the Agricultural Engineers Association. Uh, what has it meant to you? What, what's happened since then? I have taken it like it's a massive pride for me like to be recognized as an engineer because not only uh, what William was saying how difficult it is in this industry being new into this industry completely and having no farming background and then to be rewarded with what we've been rewarded with is just incredible and just shows that anyone can do it if you put your mind to it. Um, so since this, I have actually met with Laura and we did an air concourse. Thank you to APR Limited um, together, which was about two and a half, three day course. And we've both now got multiple qualifications in aircon um, and much more planned from this um, and some exciting things happening with the AEA as well. Um, so it's really going up from here. Fantastic. Um, and, and you originally came from the automotive industry, automobile industry, as a, as a, as a car technician. Yes. Uh, what are the differences that you find now to, to what you were doing previously? So with cars, this is sort of why I came away from it. It was very much the same thing every day. You go to the same building every day and you're doing the same thing. With agriculture, no day is the same. You're out here, there and everywhere. You get to meet a multitude of people and see different life stories and all sorts you just meet some really incredible people during um, in ag what you're, you're uh, an apprentice now with yeah. an ag co-apprentice with with chandlers um what's your, your 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 general role and what sort of training are you taking at the moment um so at the moment i'm on block release for college um which i attend morton moral in warwickshire okay. um and every day like so i first started off shadowing an engineer like going out on servicing and sort of getting to know the customers getting to know the role and now i'm being let free a little bit more on my own tractors when they come into the workshop you know i've gone out to a couple of jobs by myself and it's just slowly getting my experience up with different jobs so then i can become a fully fledged engineer Great. And it probably doesn't need saying, but um, this has always been recognised as a male dominated industry. Yes. Um, how do you find your relationship with the rest of the staff, customers and so on? So for some customers, it's a bit of a shock, um, but it's always a positive shock. It's like, oh, well, fair play. You're you're actually giving it a go. Um, the lads who I work with are incredible. I couldn't ask for a better team. They're, they're just like family. Um, as soon as you sort of get on the level of things are going to be a little bit more dirty and, you know, lads will be lads and things. It's, it's a, yeah, I couldn't ask for a better like team to work with. And Chandler's are really supportive. And, and do you feel that, do, do, do you guess that we will see more diversity in, in the industry? I would like to think that's the way it's going. Um, you know, there's a lot of female run farms that I know of. And like I said, myself and Laura, it is it's going to be happening there's going to be a lot more women coming into the industry and making a splash um well look thank you just for that uh the, the moment Lauren. if i just i might 
sort of pose a, a question generally. I, and funny enough, you should mention Morton Morrill because I see that they put out a, a note the other day that their, their intake of people into students, into agricultural courses, was much, much greater than they had anticipated, and particularly from non-farming backgrounds. So is the message about our industry finally getting home and, and, and kind of what's what's driving it kit um what what's the situation at harper's do, in terms of intake particularly from non-farming farming families do you know i'd say we're within engineering which is where i have a, a grasp I, I can't speak for the wider university um we're kind of fairly stationary on on our intake and where they're coming from um we have a range of courses so we don't just have ag engineering we have mechanical engineering and automotive off highway which which has the links to sort of uh you know off-road vehicles and 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 things like that so we do have a a, a mix coming into our courses but i wouldn't say it's changed a great deal recently um we are looking to uh, what our courses look like in the future uh and something i'm quite keen to try and do is 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 capture the passion of the current sort of teen generation around um you know the climate change uh, and sustainability and make sure we're getting the fact that agricultural engineers you know sort of graduate level agricultural engineers have have a real role in in developing uh, the agricultural en- and the agricultural industry towards a more sustainable model. Um, so that's where I really want to take the marketing for AgEng going forwards to try and get get some of that that generation who's really concerned about the you know the climate etc in in here where they can make a difference uh, do you think the environment the environmental issues and um, we've got cop 22 26 rather coming up um is that driving interest do you think um as i say i think i think that's the interest we need to capitalize on i don't mm. think we've necessarily got there yet but i think that's the interest that we need to capitalize on going forwards yeah, yeah. And David, are you seeing much diversity um, from your dealers coming through at all, or, or not enough? Um, not at the moment. And, and just from a broader point of view, you know, uh, the AEA, Agricultural Engineers Association, that predominantly uh, represent the manufacturing sort of companies. Bagma are also obviously now quite closely linked to the AEA, which I, I think is a good thing. Um I think, you know, manufacturers are trying to support by putting, you know, um, courses together with universities because, unfortunately, if you take the whole of the UK, you know, you'll have one or two dealers that have got Kubota going to the different colleges and universities trying to get an apprenticeship scheme, and, and that doesn't work. So, you know, I think we're, we're all coming together and trying to put them in certain areas so we get enough um, staff together. Or, or apprentices in in one place, but I think dealers unfortunately could probably do a bit more in that area. I think there are a lot of dealers that every year take a good number of apprentices, and unfortunately, there's probably as many dealers that actually sit on the fence, do nothing, and then sometimes probably go in and offer a slightly better package after that person's got qualified and sort of cherry pick the business. So. It's as if we need a sort of an apprenticeship levy to go against all dealers because all dealers benefit from it, you know. And I don't know a dealer that doesn't have a technician. So, but I do know plenty of dealers that don't have apprentices. So I think somehow we need to correct that. And and it's a bit controversial, but you know we're not going to fix it any other way, really. Just to add to that, um, 
Chandler's have actually just started Chandler's Academy, um, which is aiming. So I'm an apprentice, say, for four years doing an AGCO course. Um, but Chandler's Academy will take me on to essentially an eight year course. So after I'm an apprentice, I'll become an improver. And then from an improver to a technician all the way to master tech, um, you know, keeping the morale and keeping apprentices involved and engaged with the company, which I think is a really, really good step. Uh, and Lauren, um, you, you came from, as we said, from the motor trade, um, and you've probably got a lot of friends in the motor trade still in that yeah. in that sphere. Are they impressed with what you're doing? Are they interested in what you're doing? Yeah. So a lot of people, I think, you know, a lot. Some people look at it as, oh, you're a woman in the ag industry, and then others, it's like, oh, you're from a non-farming background in the industry. Um, and a lot of people are actually scared to get into it, not just because of their gender, because of the like background they come from. Um, and a lot of people I know are actually thinking, you know, I want to start this. And it's like, well, go for it. You don't need to be from a farming background. The courses are full of information to teach you everything you need to know. Great, great. And Will, I mean, again, you, you come from a non-farming background. Uh, you've, you've presumably got a lot of friends, uh, possibly still in the army. Uh, do you sell agricultural engineering to them? <laughs> yeah absolutely i mean it's a breath of fresh air to hear lauren say such things that uh i was i was looking at it in the same kind of light that i know i didn't grow up into agriculture uh i was around it slightly as a child uh and loved being outdoors and doing what the farmers i saw as a kid were doing uh but thought it was at the reaches of my ability uh, because I wasn't born on a farm I wasn't going through the, the, the kind of issues that are associated with it so I went in in a totally different direction and, and followed another dream um, and like you said um, uh, like earlier on that through happens to circumstance that uh, I was able to, to have another go at it I think it's a, an amazing opportunity and like the the diversity, not just with the people that you've got going on, but the, the kind of jobs that you're going to have to do out there as well. You have to be really flexible and dynamic in order to be able to do what it is that you have to do as a technician. Uh, and the, the quality of technicians that are getting out there uh, are good, you know, but it's a, you've got your eye, the, the, the older guys, you know, that want to be thinking about retirement, that are going through the older kind of, uh, diesel engines and what have you through to the kind of stuff Kit's alluding to uh, and we're going to need to be able to pull that in so along sure. with Jeremy uh, and a couple of my other former forces friends you know there, there's not one job role within the MOD that is can't be echoed within agriculture as well so mm. you know you, with or the autonomy side of life and the network establishment and maintenance and things like that that would be associated with the royal signals uh, logistics would be the royal logistics core uh, all the way through to the royal electrical and mechanical engineers so um the the transferable skills that you and i have often spoken about are, are, are really quite there so, so there could be a, a, a good pool there. Well, that, that's, yeah. uh, you you often hear it said that um, one of the attractions of this industry is no day, day is ever the same and uh, the sheer variety. Well, look, I'd, I'd like to thank you all um, for joining me uh, today. Uh, and lastly, maybe just uh, one by one, I, I could just ask you, you know, what's on the horizon for you? Uh, Kit, uh, where, where now? Um, are you going to double up the hectareage or the acreage or, or what? Uh, no, in terms of the the, the farm, it's just about in constant improvement, making the systems more reliable, better to use, you know, e you know, easy to use. Um, and essentially, you know, our commercial partners are, are working towards a point of um, 
you know, uh, you know, commercialization. So, so those systems need to be sort of uh, customer ready. In terms of the 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 angle that I work on, um, we are just about to kick off the development of a British standard for the use of autonomous agricultural vehicles, uh, and I'm on the the sort of um, the committee for that, and I, and that's something I'm really proud to have been a sort of leader on making that happen. Um, because ultimately, if these systems exist, we need frameworks for them to operate on farm. So the British standards are really important. So, so that, that's the exciting thing, or maybe not that exciting for some, but that's the important thing I'm working on over the next year. Yeah, and and, and David, um, you've already alluded to that uh, ahead, you've, you've, you're faced with a situation where uh, there will be some rationing of product next year. Is, is that going to be your biggest headache? Yeah, I think there's there's probably two elements to it. I think there's um, making sure we look after our own staff because um, they've been under a fairly stressful period with COVID and we're now in a situation where, you know, quite understandably dealers and, and customers down the line are on the phone permanently asking where their product has got to. And, and so number one, goal will be to make sure we look after our own staff and and number two will be to make sure that we're fair to all of our dealers because um, you know without product then unfortunately they'll cease trading so you know the big ones you know need a lot of product and the smaller ones don't need so much but they all need to have a fair ratio of that to make sure that they can get through next year but again Let's not forget that, you know, we will ship our record year this year. Next year should be actually slightly more than that. And we all managed to make a living out of it sort of five years ago. So um, we might think that the world's coming to an end because we can't get twice as many tractors or mowers or whatever it might be. But, you know, I think we just have to be sensible and and run the business based on the fact that it's still going to be a good year. Good, good. So your diplomacy skills are going to be tested to the hilt, guess. Absolutely. <laughs> and Will, uh, what, what's, what's, where's your goals? Where, where are you going next? Yeah, it, being goal driven has often been part of the cornerstone for any former service people. Uh, so you do your you short and your long term. Uh, I really enjoyed the the technical training side of my career and in my former job. And, you know, if I can do that with the next one, especially like to see the quality of the, the apprentices coming through now, uh, the younger generation, uh, they could teach me a couple of things uh, on on how to be cool within the industry. Uh, and hopefully I can like educate them on how to get things done uh, and the mentality of stuff as well. But um, yeah, the distributed training and centralized training and potentially in the future. But uh, as it stands, I think I'm going to be concentrating more on uh, the knowledge, skill and experience gained for products within the John Deere world. Yeah. And, and Lauren, are, are you cool for this industry? <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to say so. Yeah, no, um, going off of what Will said, um, that's also the plan is to just gain more experience, expand my network with uh, different engineers throughout channels, because I find the best way to learn is learn everyone's different view on it because every engineer has a different way of doing a job. Yeah. Um, and it'd just be to expand. Me and Laura have a few things planned. We're going to be at Lama Show um, and hopefully meet new people and carry on my adventure in agriculture. Well, that's terrific. And and so could I say to you all, very, very many thanks for, for, for taking part today. I think it's only just demonstrated the sheer breadth of this industry and also the uh, uh, because of, you all come from different parts of the industry that actually, if you look at it, uh, you're all connected in one way 
or, or another. So could I thank you for participating uh, once again? Thank you. Well, there were so many interesting topics aired there. Uh, autonomous, or if you like, no-hands farming, supply issues, the environmental concerns, skill sets required for the industry, and how we sell the industry to outsiders, as well as the future for apprenticeships. Plenty to get our teeth into over the coming months. I'll be making AgriTurf Talk a regular feature over the coming months with another eclectic lineup of guests. So I'm Chris Biddle. Thanks for joining me, and this is Inside AgriTurf. Thank you.